Good morning. It's good good to be with you again. Greetings to everyone. Our first combined service in a couple of years, maybe. And it's good to be back together again as one congregation and uh, see everybody. Uh, <clears throat> when you when the congregation is split into services, you miss people coming and going, and now we feel like we're back in one congregation. You see everybody together again. So it's good to be back to this point. Um, Welcome to any visitors. If you're visiting today, welcome to you. And those that are uh, watching online, welcome you as well. Pastor Bruce is away today. We'll be back uh, next Sunday. So if you're visiting today, please come back and uh, you get to hear the the uh, senior pastor next Sunday. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, you'll... You'll see why he's the senior pastor. <laughs> so I uh, probably could have thought of a better way to say that, but <laughs> you get the idea. So um, I want to begin with prayer, and we uh, something that's on my mind. I know we have a lot of needs is in the congregation itself, a lot of physical needs, spiritual needs, and it always struggles. Uh, the situation with Ukraine, I won't go into that in a great deal, but it's, it's on the news so much, and you see the struggles of the people in Ukraine. They're trying to exit the country, and uh, I saw something on TV this morning that really touched me in a way. I, I try to stay clear of news and political things uh, to a great extent, but I saw a video of fathers that were hugging their wives and children, and their wives and children were trying to get out of the country, and their husbands were staying to fight. And they knew when they were apart, they may not see each other again. And that, that touched me in a way, and it made that crisis more real to me than... than uh, just hearing about it on the 6 o'clock news or whatever, when you see it with a personal touch like that. And that that just really struck me in a way. It just, I don't understand what these people are going through, but it kind of opened my eyes to it. So continue to pray for not only the people and the leaders in Ukraine, but our leaders in our country and how we react to this and the stand that we take. I won't... I won't voice an opinion, but we need to take a stand at some point, and uh, I'll leave it at that. But if you'll join me, and we'll pray together, and we'll get into the to the message for today. <clears throat> Father, we're we're so thankful for your love for us, and and your word that uh, reinforces that and encourages us uh, each day. And I thank you for it. And I, I pray for the people uh, this morning, the congregation, Lord, the people that are here, and I just pray uh, along with myself that our, our hearts and minds would be still to hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, you would uh, give me clarity to speak and think, and uh, Lord, say the things that need to be here, to be heard, and uh, Lord, that uh, those that are here would uh, overlook 
any of my faults and my stumbles, Lord, and just hear basically and hear more so what you have to say to them. And I just pray you bless and use this service, Lord, and we give this time up to you, and I thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I uh, just want to say I, I want to be clear. Uh, you know, when I stand up here, I, I really, you know, feel like I have no business up there representing God in front of people, and I have my struggles just like everyone else, and and I know that we all do, uh, but I, you know, I never want, I want to make sure I never put myself in a, in a spiritual place above anyone else, and don't let me ever mistakenly give you that impression that I'm, I'm on a level of, that's different than the struggles of anyone else here. So I, I'm trying to, to uh, speak to you as brothers and sisters, and I'm not someone above you or in, a, in another at another level by any means. But, uh, you know, I'm just going to speak the things that God put on my heart. I have a lot to say today, but, I, uh, you know, it's clear throughout the Scripture that God uses people that are flawed to accomplish his purpose all through the scripture we see people with faults and that fall into struggles and sin but when you see that you know that when God uses people like that he's the only one that can get the credit for what he does because God doesn't take people that are capable he uses people that are that are inadequate my former pastor used to tell us uh, quite frequently that God has struck a lot of solid blows with a lot of crooked sticks. So we're a congregation full of crooked sticks, but God can strike solid blows with those people. And so uh, before we get going, I'm going to... My uh, scripture text will be out of Exodus chapter 6, but I'm going to give you some background information beginning in Exodus chapter 3. I've got a lot of information here, and I'm going to try to get through it quickly. And uh, I heard uh, Pastor Gene Ronrigo that was here years ago, several years ago, and he, uh, he commented that uh, he's from Philippines, I believe, but he commented early in the service. He said uh, he always remembers, uh, blessed is he that preaches short, for he will be asked to come back again. <laughs> so I keep that in mind because you, you want to say what you have to say, but you have to keep it to a, re, a reasonable amount. But uh, <clears throat> there are some things in Exodus uh, chapter 6, and I want to comment about how that parallels to believers today from the New Testament and the same, some of the same struggles with our nature uh, that the Israelites had back in Exodus, and they struggle with the same thing with pride and with their own opinion. And uh, Peggy and I have been reading through the uh, through the Old Testament. We just recently completed Genesis and Exodus, and uh, we've seen how many similarities there are between the struggles of those people and the struggle uh, between modern day believers. Uh, and how that we're drawn, even as believers, we're drawn to, uh, even when we have a relationship with Christ, we're drawn back. The world is pulling us back, calling us back. And, uh, and we're deceived somehow that that old life was better than our new life. 
And we see Satan try to convince us of that. And uh, we're, we're given the false notion that our Christian walk will go and be without problems or trials. And you see in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3 up through the book of Exodus when the <clears throat> Israelites were led out of Egypt that uh, God had promised to lead them out of Egypt into the, into the land of Canaan, into the promised land, but it didn't go without, without struggles and without trials. But God re- revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, the bush that wasn't consumed, and he declared he's, to Moses, he said, I've seen the misery of my people and I've heard their cries. And God says, I've come to deliver them out of slavery to the Egyptians and to a land flowing with milk and honey. The scripture says that Moses so recognized the holiness of God that he hid his face. But God had chosen Moses to deliver the Israelites from the Pharaoh and from the land of Egypt. And we immediately, we see the nature of man kick in with Moses and that he begins to make excuses. And uh, when God called Moses, this is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, God called Moses from the burning bush and he said, uh, Moses, Moses, and Moses, the first thing Moses says was, here I am. So it's an appropriate response. But God tells Moses, he said, I'll send you to the Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses' reply in verse 11, it changes from here I am to who am I? (laughs) Moses is overwhelmed that he thinks God wants him to deliver the people out of Egypt. But God didn't want... Uh, Moses to do this. He wanted to do it through him and not by him. In his next excuse, in verse 13, he says, Who shall I say has sent me? And he starts to feel insufficient. I don't have the knowledge to go before Pharaoh and convince him to let the people out out of Egypt. He has insufficient knowledge to speak for God. And, you know, we all should have a desire for knowledge. We all should have a desire to study. But it's not so much about what you know as who you know. I heard a saying once that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And until they know that, people won't want to hear what you have to say. But you can see in verse 11, Moses also has a, uh, an issue with self-esteem. He feels inferior. He uses my favorite, one of my favorite excuses, he's inadequate. And he says to the Lord, he said, uh, Lord, he said, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant He said, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. And we all struggle with that to some extent, some feeling of inadequacy. We can't be used in uh, 
we don't have the ability to be used by God, but we'll find that God can use his message in spite of the abilities or inadequacies of the messenger. Uh, last Sunday, and uh, you may have noticed already, those of you that are paying attention, I'm not the fastest talker. I've never been accused of being a fast talker. No one's ever said, you know, repeat yourself. You was a little too fast. But the Spanish congregation uh, that I spoke to last Sunday, they, one of the ladies came and she said, I like that you talk slow. She said, when you're learning two languages, you're trying to interpret in your mind, it gives you time to process what you said. And they can put together in English, uh, the English into their Spanish-speaking service. So speaking slow is not all bad. It, sometimes it works out okay. But uh, Peggy and I were talking um, just a couple weeks ago in the midst of our study. Peggy's my wife out there for you all don't know. We have a granddaughter that uh, was prematurely born. She'll be five this April. But she, she has speech delays. And uh, she says a lot. She talks really fast. But you, you have trouble understanding what, uh, what she's saying. And sometimes we talk, you know, why can't she be like the other children her age, you know, the other five-year-olds, and they talk and uh, carry on plain conversations, and they're easy to understand. But uh, Peggy reminded me in, in verse 11 what the Lord said to Moses there. He said, Who's made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the sing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now go, therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and will teach you what to say. So it helps us not to question, you know, our inadequacy or our inabilities, but to use what God has given us as he leads us into the area that he would require us or ask us to use it. But he's looking much more for our obedience than for our ability. So if you um, would turn with me, our scripture text is going to come from Exodus chapter 6. And I'm going to read verse uh, 1 through 12, if you would stand with me as our tradition. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version if it's, if it's slightly different than what you see on the screen or what uh, translation that you have. Starting in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore I say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. 
I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God and who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. You may be seated. So you can see through those verses, throughout those 12 verses, how many times God proclaimed to the people, to Moses, I am the Lord. He drives that home to him. And uh, more than 150 times in the Old Testament, God makes that same proclamation to his people. I am the Lord. Throughout my study of scriptures and through some Hebrew, and I don't dabble in Hebrew very often. I I have enough struggle with English, as you can tell sometimes. But there's three forms of the word Lord that are used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, three common forms. There are more Hebrew and Greek translations. But there are three forms, and there's one form that's used in the book of Genesis, and Lord is used in all capital letters. All four are, letters are capitalized, and it's a different form of the word Lord. And it's also commonly referred to as, as using the word Yahweh. And that means, what that term means is a self-existent God, a God that always exists, exists now, and will exist forever. He's self-existent. Whether we exist or not, he will continue. He existed before us. He'll continue to exist after us. And we also see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses says, Who shall I say sent me? And he says, I am who I am. That's, that's the same term. I was, I am, and I will continue to be. But what more commonly... Um, you see the term Lord with a capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And that's the most common use of the word uh, in throughout the rest of the scripture. And there's also a word there that's used called Adonai. And it's a more personal term for the word Lord. It's more of a, a relational, personal uh, use of the word. And uh, it's also used in... Uh, in uh, as the word master, when you use the word Lord, Lord, you hear Jesus called Lord, Lord, and it's the same as master, master in the Greek. Uh, 
But you can see at this point what we read from uh, Exodus 3 through 5, you could see that the Israelites were discouraged. And it's something that we struggle with, we struggle with daily. And uh, I've heard someone say before that with discouragement, either you had discouragement yesterday, if you didn't, you'll have it today, and if you didn't, don't have it today, you'll have it tomorrow. But we see the same thing when God says, I am who I am, because the discouragement that you had yesterday he was there. The discouragement you have today, he's here today. The discouragement that will come tomorrow, he's there tomorrow. He, he's there and he always will be. And there's also a third term, and it's uh, all lowercase, just, just to put that in there. But Abraham, Sarah mentioned or talks about her husband, uh, Abraham in the term Lord, she calls him her Lord, it's lowercase, but it means she's in under his authority as Lord. It's not the same word, but it's uh, the same spelling of the word. But like I said, we see 150 times that phrase is used in, uh, in the scriptures, but Moses is instructed by the Lord to go to Pharaoh. So I'm trying to parallel this to our lives as New Testament believers to what the Israelites struggle with in the Old Testament. But in uh, Exodus chapter 6, God spoke to Moses and he said, he said, I am the Lord. And you can see that God is convincing Moses of who he is. And Moses needs to be convinced that he would be able, that God was able to give them what had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and the nation of Israel. He said, I am able to give that to you. I'm able to follow through on the promise that I made to your forefathers. And there are promises throughout the New Testament. We could, have, we could walk in peace. We could walk in trust if we believed and were obedient to the words that God passes along to us. But we also see that in, in verse 6, God tells Moses to go to the children of Israel and proclaim the same thing. Proclaim to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And Moses needed to convince, to be convinced, and then he needed to convince the people. Our church leadership here, we need to be convinced. If we want to lead the people, we need to be obedient, and we need to know and recognize that he is the Lord. The scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. And the key for believers to live a Christian life of uh, peace and a life of peace and rest is to recognize him as Lord. God tells Moses, he said, I will rescue you and redeem you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He proclaims it again. 
And this time he says, I will prove it. God would prove himself to the people. He says in 7 and 8, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. He adds up another personal emphasis there. He says, then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. He said, I'm not saying I am the Lord. I'm the Lord, your God. He adds something personal to it. Not only am I the Lord, I'm your God. There's when the Adonai, the personal relationship between man and God comes in. He said, I'll bring you into the land that I swore to you to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I will give you a heritage. I am the Lord. He repeats it again. But we see Moses, when we get to verse 12, he's still struggling. He says, the Israelites will not listen to me. So why would Pharaoh listen to me? And in verse 12, Moses says he, uh, and this is the NIV translation, it says he speaks, Moses spoke with faltering lips. And in the NIV, it says trembling lips. But we see as we move into to chapter 8, and I'll just touch on that briefly. But we see the use of the term, I am the Lord your God, and we see the confidence built in, in uh, Moses. And he goes and tells Pharaoh, he said, let it be according to your word. This is in chapter 8, verse 10. He says, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. So he's gone from the Lord to your God to our God. We see the progression. We see his faith as he sees the works of God. You know, the day is coming in our land, in our country, those that are opposed to God and are opposed to the church, and the opposition is stronger. I'm not sure the church is stronger, but the opposition is stronger than it's ever been to silence the message of the church, the message of the gospel, the salvation, the good news, life by faith, living by faith. They want to silence that. It's all must be scientifically uh, proved. And man wants to take away any accountability or sense of being accountable to God. But the scripture tells us in the book of Psalms, chapter 10, verse 11, he's talking about these people that are opposed to God. He says what they're saying is God has forgotten. He hides his face. See, he will never see. In verse 13, it says, The wicked renounce God and have said in his heart, You will not require an account. This is the distortion that people are, are thinking. Because of the patience of God, the long-suffering of God, people believe they're no longer accountable. But I've heard many times that the mill of God grinds slowly, but it grinds exceedingly fine. The end product, it moves slowly, but it grinds finely. 
The last struggle I see from Moses is a lack of trust. In uh, chapter 4, verse 13, Moses says, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. He's gone beyond excuses to unwillingness. And he had a brother, Aaron, and Aaron was a smooth talker. But he didn't have the heart or the character of Moses. And God used Aaron along with Moses, but over time Aaron became more of a hindrance to Moses than he did a helper. But just as Moses did, I think God is calling us to set aside our inadequacies and learn to trust him. And how do we go from a life of of fear and struggle and doubt to a relationship of trust? There's several things I want to consider. Are we walking in obedience to the things that we understand? You don't need to know or have have a great working knowledge of the entire scripture, but are you walking in obedience to the things that you do understand? You know, God only is we're only accountable to God for the light that he gives us, what we what he gives us to understand, the light he shines on our life to be obedient to may be different from each of us, but we're accountable to be obedient to that. But he wants to take us from letter A to letter Z. But we can't get to A to to C until we are obedient in B. So if we're not obedient in B, he'll take us back to A and we'll start there again. One of the reasons for that is what is our attitude? I can say, I can tell you this from my own experience. What's your attitude toward the word of God? When you read God's Word, do you read it and think, what does God say or what is God trying to say to me? I read God's Word for years, and when I finished reading, I would would count the chapters. I read this many chapters today, and it was all about quantity, no quality. But one way we can know where a relationship with God stands is your heart open to what God wants to say to you personally. When you read the Word, are you open? What does it say to me? Sometimes we read the Word and we we read a scripture and it talks about a sin or a struggle and we say, boy... My cousin really needed, he could have really stood to have heard that today. That's not what God's trying to say to you. If it applies to you, that's what he's trying to say. Another is what is their attitude towards sin? In our society today, we always try to call sin something other than what the Word of God calls it. We try to put a title on it. We try to put a condition on it. 
Uh, we use psychology to cover it. We blame our parents for it. Uh, we come up with all kinds of excuses. What is your attitude towards sin? Can you confess it or can you continue to live in it? If you can continue to live in it, that's a problem. If you confess it and forsake it, that's where God wants your heart to be. The scripture says, uh, shall you continue in sin that grace may abound? God's grace covers our sin, but we can't continue in it. God's grace is not going to abound if we make mockery of his grace. In Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 45 and 46, it says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. He says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and and not do the things I say. And the word there, when you hear the term Lord, Lord, that is translated as master, master. But when you use the term Lord, we see in the scripture as they used it, uh, master, master here, it clearly signifies you're acknowledging someone's authority. But Jesus makes a strong distinction between those who make a verbal profession and those who actually follow him. You call me Lord, Lord, but you do not the things that I say. What's in the heart is what comes out of the mouth. In James chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, it says, Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. It says, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does the same fountain send forth from the same opening sweet water and bitter? The words of our mouth are a reflection of our relationship to God. But what does he mean, sweet water and bitter? If you're unwilling to forgive, if you're unwilling to accept forgiveness, that causes bitterness. That will cause bitter water to proceed from your mouth. Bitterness will come out in your words. In Luke 9, chapter 23, Jesus said to, says to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Taking up your cross, the cross is a symbol of death. But as the Israelites were led out of Egypt, Galatians chapter 4 verse 7 says, You're no longer slaves, but you're made free by his grace. We're no longer in bondage to sin and to slavery. It says you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, you're an heir through God. Another analogy, another parallel I wanted to throw out. You know, just as the earth was destroyed eventually by flood, the earth was saved through the crucifixion of Christ and the oncoming grace of God, as we read about in Ephesians 2.8. 
but the earth was flooded by grace. Even though the, the earth was destroyed by the flood, grace was sent and made available to all men. The grace of God is available to all men, the scripture says. But it's by grace who are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. So I want to look at a couple final things. But in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 13 through 16, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he asked Peter, he said, what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we see in, uh, in the book of Exodus, we talked about God repeatedly said, I am. And here, Jesus says the same thing to Peter. Who do you say that I am? And at first he speaks to the crowd, but then he focuses on Peter alone. He says, who do you say that I am? And that's where we find out where we stand before God. Just like Peter, we're responsible to, to, uh, to God to determine who he is to us. Is he the Lord with a capital L or is he the Lord with a lowercase L? And that's reflected in the things that we talk about, your attitude towards sin, the words that proceed out of your mouth, your attitude toward his word. It says his word is living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Sometimes it cuts. You know, are we are we willing? Are we surrendered enough to allow it to cut? The scripture says he is the Lord. So I want to say one more thing in closing, back to what some of my opening remarks, but uh, just related to the issues, the things that are going on in the world, the uh, the trials and struggles, I just wanted to, to throw this one verse out there for you to hold on to. The things that are in Ukraine, so many things that are going on in the world. But uh, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, and uh, it's a, a New King James Version again, but he says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So regardless of what we see going on in the world, all the things we hear in the news, 
um, all the trials, the wars, the protests, all the unrest that we see going on. Jesus has spoken to us and told us. He said, you can have peace. He says, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So if you would join me in prayer, and just, uh, I just pray you would uh, consider the things that I've said, but consider what God is saying to you. What is he saying to you? Who do you say that he is? Let's pray together before we close. Oh, Father, I thank you for your word, and I uh, just thank you for the things you allowed me to share this morning, and I, I just pray that in my, uh, in my own way you were able to use me or in, in some fashion to speak to your people, and I just pray we'll come to grips with who you really are, Lord, that we won't see you in a way that's less than, than who you are. And I pray for your people, Lord, that we would go forth, we would walk in strength, that we would uh, walk uprightly before you, Lord, in a, in a way that's uh, in recognition of your authority and your greatness and who you are and that you, you, you were and you are and you always will be. And I just uh, pray for the people this morning. You would bless the lives. You would use the members of this congregation, Lord. We would go out. Uh, in your power and in, in your strength, Lord, and reach those that we uh, that we see in, in the circles of our lives, Lord, those that we see uh, along our, our walk in our life each day. Bless the folks, Lord, I pray. Thank you for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would everyone stand, please?
Heavenly Father, we just we do glorify you, Lord. We just thank you so much for for the blessings that you give to us, Lord. We just ask that you would be with our brothers and our sisters in the Ukraine, all of the people there, Lord. We know that there's a time and a purpose under heaven for everything that happens. But, Lord, we just pray for the suffering that people are going through, the ones who are having to leave family behind and, and to stay. So, Lord, at this time, we just thank you for the peace that you've given us here, not just the physical peace and that we experience day to day, but the peace that passes all understanding in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.